good evening. Someone here quite a few months ago suggested a lesson on the Trinity. And so this is my attempt to at least give us a, a basic knowledge and maybe a place to start when, when we talk about that subject. And I'd like to talk about the actual use also of the term Trinity. And, and I'm going to use the term Trinity throughout the lesson because that was the uh, term used when I was approached and about someone giving this lesson. And what we're really talking about here when we talk about the Trinity or the Godhead is the nature of God. The Godhead. Is God one or is God three? Trinity and Godhead are uh, words that are often used interchangeably. Are they interchangeable? Should we even use the word Trinity? And what is it talking about? You know, when we're covering topics uh, of this type, I'm going to I'm going to have three goals in mind. Uh, number one, present the facts and information of the scriptures. This is primary and most important. What the scriptures sh say should always be our starting point when studying any topic. And number two, I'm going to consider some other uh, conclusions that maybe they seem rational. And I'll try to present to you what are current thoughts that, that exist today in regards to this issue. Uh, and number three, I'm going to offer my own view in light of the scriptures and my, and my reasons why. And it's only at the end of the lesson will I try to, uh, I guess you could say, push my view. But as always, I encourage you to listen to the lesson with open minds and hearts. And I also greatly encourage you to then take the lesson and study these things for yourself in depth and detail. And finally, maybe after some prayerful study, if you have found me to have presented something in error, I would appreciate your thoughts on that. I don't mean to scare you, but with these things in mind, let's, uh, let's begin the study. Now, there have always been questions and difficulties in trying to understand the nature and the person of God. And there's quite a bit of disagreement in the religious world concerning the nature of God. And it should go without saying that it is important for us to know as much as we can about God since we've been called to be like him. One of the most common descriptions of God is the Trinity. And most people understand that the word Trinity it is not found in the Bible. And this should always put you on guard when you don't use biblical terms. However, there is nothing wrong with using non-biblical terms as long as they are accurate. For example, the word Bible is not found in the Bible. It's not found in scriptures. But it's an accurate statement of what we have in our hands. The word omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient are also not found in Scripture. But they're accurate words to describe God as all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. The greater questions we should ask are these. Are the principles of the belief of the Trinity, Trinity are they accurate? How does God describe himself? Is God one or is God three? And these are the things that we're going to look at in this lesson. They're clear 
teachings that tell us that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, we read there is one God and Father of all. Mark chapter uh, 12, verse 29, we read, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus understood that there is one God and taught that those who would uh, that to those who would come to him. But this, you know, it really does immediately sounds like a dilemma. <coughs> if there is one God, how is it that Jesus claimed to be God? There, this was one of the arguments that religious leaders of Jesus' day uh, were using against him. How could Jesus be God? And make no mistake about it, Jesus claimed to be God, and he was proven to be God, and the apostles verify that Jesus is God. <coughs> Excuse me. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In John, Word, in John 1, the Word, Logos in Greek, is identified as Jesus who came to earth as the light of the world. So Jesus is also called the Word. Those multitudes and, and religious leaders understood that Jesus claimed to be God. John, John chapter 5, verse 18 says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making him equal with God. You know, many other passages, such as Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, uh, verify Jesus to be the creator and in the beginning, and therefore God. And again, we have to ask the question, how can it be that God is one when we see that Jesus is God and the Father is God? <coughs> Excuse me. From the beginning, God revealed that there was one per more than one person uh, to that make up God. In Genesis 1.1, we read, in the beginning, God. Now, the Hebrew word for God is El, E-L. However, that's not the Hebrew word that was used when God described himself to the world. Instead, of he used the Hebrew word Elohim, which is plural of El. This plurality is seen uh, in this word more clearly when you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. The word gods is Elohim. Some suggest that the plurality of the word suggests that it denotes majesty and glory, and that's all that means. And that may be true in some other texts, but it cannot be true here because the plurality is more distinct later in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, the plurality can even be seen in our own English language in Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man in our image. If there were only one person, then those words don't make sense. The sentence ought to read, Then God said, I will make man in my image, according to my likeness. We've already noticed there was more than one person in the beginning. 
John 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us that the word, Christ, was there in the beginning, creating with the Father. And while we're considering these things, it is as good time as any to point out that the Holy Spirit is God also. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we read that the Spirit is eternal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, we read that the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven. Yet another indication that the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, we see that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, which Peter says is lying to God. However, possibly one of the clearest texts is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, To the pilgrim, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Here it says that all three persons in God who are active in the salvation of the elect, all three. Now, when I use the word person, I don't, uh, mean that they're human. Um, by person, I'm simply describing a uh, being or an entity or an essence with a center of intelligence that is separate or distinct from the other. And I'll talk more on this in a bit. And this leaves us with some interesting questions. How can we say that there is one God as the scriptures teach, yet also notice there are three people who claim to be God. That sounds like a contradiction. And there are attempts at explaining this, and I'll present some of these views. And one is called Arianism, and this view is named uh, because it began with a man named Arius, who lived somewhere in the fourth century. And according to this view, God is so above normal and so separate from everything else he needs a mediator for every relation he has with the world. So he created the sun, or logos, as a kind of semi-divine semi being, I guess you could say, to act as his agent in creating the universe. And after being created and creating the world, the logos became incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth and lived a perfect life that was honored by the Father by giving the title, the Son of God. Therefore, Jesus is not eternal as God is. Instead, he's a creature who had a beginning. In other words, they deny uh, the equality of the Father and the Son. Jesus is not God, nor is Jesus merely a man. And this view is commonly found among the Jehovah's Witnesses. Even with passages like uh, passages that we have already studied, we can see that this view is not accurate. It's not correct. John 1, 1 through 3, very clearly says that Jesus, Logos, is not a created being, but is God. Jesus himself declares in Revelation twenty two thirteen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In Hebrews 7, 3, Melchizedek is compared to Christ in that they have neither beginning days nor end of life. So Jesus has no beginning or no end, but is the eternal God. Next, we have something called modalism. The dictionary says that modalism is the view in, uh, that in God's inner nature, there are no distinctions within God, threefold or otherwise. 
However, in his external relationships with his creatures, God assumes different modes in which to make himself known and accomplish his person, a purpose, purposes among men. Now that sounds complicated, but this view teaches that in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as the Father. In the New Testament, he then became the Son. And finally, after Jesus was resurrected, he became the Holy Spirit. So these modes of relationship are in series and not in parallel. They're successive. They're not simultaneous. And this view tries to emphasize the oneness of God. Uh, with this view, God is one person who reveals himself in three different ways to various people during different times in history. And the most common group that holds to this view is the oneness Pentecostals or, uh, the, and the United Pentecostal Church. It should also be noted that several folks from the Restoration period held this view, including Alexander and Thomas Campbell. This view is also is made a resurgence uh, today among Christians. I believe this is also an errant view because it simply cannot do justice to many scriptures. Too many times we read all three persons of God acting. Other times we read two persons acting. And let's look at some of these passages. Luke 2, 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. If God is merely one person, as modalism teaches, then Jesus was in favor with himself. You know, this makes uh, no sense. Out of what Luke is saying to us, Matthew 3, 16 through 17 says, Then Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There are three distinct persons that are seen in this event here. How can this be understood as only one person of God in this event? Did Jesus show approval to himself? Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. You know, in this passage, we see again, three di distinct entities acting separately from one another. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. How does this make any sense if God is one person only one person at any particular time uh, in history. This passage becomes nonsense again. John chapter 8, verse 14, and verses 17 through 18 is another passage. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bear witness of me. <clears throat> Understand what Jesus is arguing in this passage. If for someone's testimony to be considered true, there must be two witnesses. Jesus says that he's able to bear witness of himself because he is from God. The second witness is the Father who sent Jesus who testifies that Jesus' words are true. If God is one person, then Jesus did not 
have the testimony of two people. He only had the testimony of one person, and that would be himself. But Jesus says that he has the testimony of two people. Mark 13, 32 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Again, this passage doesn't make sense if God is only one person. How could God know the day or the hour and then not know the day or the hour if he's the same person? There's no distinction between the Father and the Son. Why was their knowledge different while Jesus was on earth? Further, if there is no distinction between the Father and the Son, then why was Jesus praying to the Father? He must have been praying to himself if the doctrine of modalism is correct. And it's just not logical. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The purpose of a mediator is that he is the go-between for two people. If the Father and Son are the same person, then how can Christ be our mediator? A mediator, by its very definition, is a third party who is distinct from the other parties involved. According to Acts chapter, 20, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 35, Peter preached that Christ resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of God. And you know, Stephen, as he was about to die in Acts chapter 7, saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God, standing at the right hand of God. If the Father and the Son are the same person, is Jesus, is he sitting on his own hand? You know, it doesn't make sense. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. If the Father and the Son are the same person, will Christ give himself the kingdom in eternity? You know, the scriptures repeatedly teach distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And while this doctrine may sound good initially, it falls apart under the weight of scriptures that teach the distinction that's found in God. Now let's get to the term that's <clears throat> on the board, Trinity. During the time, uh, 200 to 300 AD, uh, you know, many Christians were trying to figure out and understand the nature of God. And this guy named Tert Tertullian, he's, with, he's the one that's credited with uh, coming up with the term Trinity. And during the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed in about 325 AD accepted a similar view concerning God. And the word Trinity comes from compounding the word three or tri and unity. Therefore, we get the word Trinity. The concept of Trinity is generally understood that God is three persons who share one essence. If this, were all, if this were all that the word Trinity meant, you know, I believe I would be on board with that. But the reason that Alexander and Thomas Campbell and a couple others were so strongly against the use of Trinity uh, seems, to be, seems to be twofold. First, the doctrine of Trinity, and it's become a, a doctrine, has led many to pray to the Trinity. Instead of addressing the Father as the one we pray to and Christ being our mediator to bring our petitions on our behalf, the doctrine led people to blending the three together so strongly that there was no distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Second, the doctrine of the Trinity has also led to the other extreme. That is, overemphasizing the individuality of the three. The doctrine of the Trinity creates, I believe, too sharp of a distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What has nearly happened is that the teaching has created an almost uh, polytheism, I guess you would say, that there are three separate gods that function completely uh, without the other. Some are teaching that one should only be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and not in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, as commanded in Matthew chapter 28. And one of the problems with this is that there, and there are many, is that it has created too much of a distinction as if Jesus is a separate God from the Father and the Holy Spirit. But I believe the scriptures teach against this as well. Let's, let's talk about the nature of God. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord establish, he establishes marriage for man and woman. And in the passage we read, chapter 2, verses 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How is it possible for a man and a woman to live as one flesh? It's very clear that both man and, and woman are two fleshes. Two flesh. Two fleshes? Two flesh. And it's not possible to merge one, uh, merge them into one. But what did the Lord mean by this command? It's clear that all the Lord was teaching that there was to be a unity between a husband and a wife. There will now be one mind, one purpose, and one goal that would exist in, the, in marriage. That's the way it's supposed to be, anyway. The, no longer would the two act according to each, other, each of their own desires and purpose, but all things would be done in harmony together, working as one unity. And this unity of mind and purpose was exactly what Jesus prayed would hap happen to all those who are his believers. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 22 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus prayed that we would become one just as he and the Father are one. How did Jesus expect us to be one? By being united in purpose and united in thought, united in goals, united in decisions. How were Jesus and the Father one? How were they one? I believe in the same way, for Jesus said that we are to be one just as they are one. Jesus and the Father are one because they are of one mind. They're one purpose, one goal, and united in decisions. I believe this is what the Lord meant when he, when he taught, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What was God teaching by commanding this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4? The context seems to show that the people of Israel were to become one through obedience to the commands of God. That's how they were to become one, through the obedience to the commands of God. 
And this voluntary submission to God is one of the things that is missing in the main teachings concerning God that we have just covered. God was teaching through this oneness and unity that there must be submission to reach this goal. Jesus taught repeatedly. Look at uh, John chapter 7, verse 16. It says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Also John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 5, 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus submitted to the Father, and that's what Paul is teaching in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is exactly what the Lord is teaching his children to be. We're to see the unity of God and have the same unity among all of us. I do not believe that God was teaching that there is only one person uh, just as much as, as he is not teaching that we are, are one person, uh, are only one person as believers. But we are one person because we are to have harmony and unity in purpose and goals and decisions. And as much as these biblical images used to illustrate God, you know, we can still miss the mark if we push further than it's intended. It's not to show a distinction into three separate gods. You know, this simply, simply shows that, that three, three make up God. You know, English majors or English teachers may correct me, but the Hebrew word Elohim is a collective noun, and it means more than one, even though it's used as a singular verb. An example of this is the word Congress, which is made up of many, but, you know, the word is singular. You know, I could keep on going uh, with this, but I'm going to conclude my lesson here, uh, mainly because that's all the notes I have. Uh, but what we need to see is that we need to be careful how we describe God because there's a fine balance between the one and the three attributes of God. And let's not go so far as to deny, to deny the three distinct beings that make up God since they are seen throughout scriptures. But let's not deny that the Lord our God is one and we are called to be just like God. I believe the use of the word Trinity can be uh, safely used if we know what we're referring to. If we, simply means, if we simply mean that there are three within God, then I think that's a safe statement. But we have to be careful when, when using this word because you know, many times it represents error by creating greater distinction in God than there, than there it really is. You know, there's a song that we sing. It's not in our book now, but we've, we've had it in books in the past. It's called Holy, 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 which says at the end of the song, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. You know, if we understand this to mean what we have studied in this lesson, then I'm just not troubled at all by the word Trinity. However, if we're making greater implications concerning the nature of God than what is revealed for us, and I think we're just better off not to use the word. You know, please study these things for yourself and, and see whether these things are true 
I began the lesson by strongly encouraging you to, to think on these things openly and go study them. And please do so. And if you find any flaw or any way to improve upon this description, you know, please let me know.